welcome to Books, the podcast, the only podcast about books. I'm Tim. I'm Tom. And we are booksmen, time travelers to another place in time. That's a time travel machine. That was Tom making a very subtle sound effect. It was mostly it was mostly the, a visual thing. You're the, moving the, your hands around. The, the the time travel machine that we go it's biomechanical. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like a very uh like Lovecraftian <laughs> thing that we have to go inside oh, of. Oh, it's got like pulsating have, uh Yeah, we have to like go through a mucus membrane yeah. to get into it. It's disgusting, which is why up until now we haven't gone through with it, but Tom, do you think we'll ever read any Lovecraft on this on this show? I Nothing don't... about that appeals to me whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, apparently the I I'm not sure about the specifics, but apparently the dude's like uh, very problematic, uh, like a big uh, racist, I guess, and stuff. Well, we lot we learned that from what was that show Lovecraft Country? Country Con- County? Yeah. I think it's Country. Uh yeah, which I never watched, but it looked like it was right up my alley. And I watched the first couple episodes. It, it was yeah. pretty good. I don't know why I stopped. I like uh, Jonathan Majors a lot. The the main guy in that. I like Lee Majors. <laughs> I'm sure you do. He's the million dollar man. Six million dollar man. Yeah, the million dollar so... man is Ted DiBiase, <laughs> who's also good. Who's we, we should, hey, we should fill the like. There's no like. I'd like to be the three million dollar man. There's no, there's not one of those. I mean, I think that's like anyone that has to like go to the hospital nowadays for anything <laughs> comes out the three million dollar man. <laughs> it's like I had my appendix out and and chemotherapy. It's no, like, it's well, not. You're the three million dollar man. Oh, okay, I get it. I thought you meant like because that of healthcare would, the, costs him. Yeah, I just thought you meant the medical debt, and I'd be like, no, that's that's the opposite. That's not. But like three million dollars worth of services were pumped into you for this. I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You think uh, the six million dollar man he dealt with a lot of medical debt after all that, or did he have probably the six, six million dollars up front he could pay them? No, that's why he had to. What did he do? Fight crime or like become a private investigator? I never saw one second yeah, of any of those yeah. kinds of shows. That was one of those shows. Like obviously, it's it's bef- well, maybe not obviously, but it's before our time. But it was like I would in hope re- obviously a Gen Z, in, yeah, baby such as myself. It, it was, but it was like in unfrequent, infrequent um, reruns when we were younger. I feel like. Like you come across yeah. a rerun sometimes, and I remember as a kid being like, "Oh, sick! This show is gonna be awesome." And then watching, and be like, "This is boring as hell." There's just a regular dude who occasionally is in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, and like there are times when like you'll call somebody on the phone, and you'll like watch him dial a rotary telephone, <laughs> like all seven numbers. <laughs> it's like yeah. that took forty five seconds. Why did that happen on a TV show? Because they gotta fill an hour. And and they know everybody watching it. There's nothing to change the channel to go watch instead. So, uh, uh, coincidentally, maybe I feel like that's kind of the case with Lovecraft. Again, having never read any Lovecraft, where I feel like he came up with good ideas, 
But no, like, the, cool. good idea, the ideas don't, they, they, they seem gross. Well, they're gross, but I think like the ideas, you know, to some people are interesting, but I don't know if, if he executed those ideas as well as, uh, as he could have, which is why I think you see a lot of things that are Lovecraftian, but mm-hmm. not like, oh, we, we went and adapted uh, Call of Cthulhu, you know. This is a very accurate uh, adaptation of that. I, I don't. I think that's why people don't really do that because it's like, eh, Cthulhu is cool, but you know the story's like not that great. Yeah. Have you ever watched? Uh, speaking of which, I feel like this is a little bit similar. But uh, uh, have you ever watched like front to back a whole Godzilla movie? No, never. I watched somewhat recently. Like, Shin- not Shin Godzilla? like not like the ones that like Brian Cranston, in, right? <laughs> right? Which I don't think you watch those either. No, <laughs> but I watched Shin Godzilla, which apparently Shin is like uh like kind of new, so it's like new Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came out. I mean, it came out like I don't know, less than ten years ago, but more than eight, maybe nine years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that was cool. Yeah, you really narrowed it down. <laughs> that movie I really liked. Yeah, well, it was it's uh, Japanese, so I like watched it subtitled. Um, but uh, but that was cool. But th- but again, that's another thing from my childhood of like Godzilla is awesome. I can't wait to watch this Godzilla movie. And then it's just like a bunch of like Japanese government meetings, <laughs> and you're like, well, this is boring <laughs> as hell. Show Godzilla. Yeah, but like if you show Godzilla in every frame, Tom, that makes Godzilla exactly. less of well, an imposing so in presence. Sh- and Shin Godzilla is in, in uh, Tom. Let me tell you, 2016's Shin Godzilla. That's what I thought. No, you didn't. You you thought it was it was 2013. You thought it was oh, nine our, years well, ago. Well, I was a year off, but in my head, you I were thought it was three 20. years off. In my head, I thought it was 2016. <laughs> a recurring theme that is a, a troubling theme <laughs> is that uh, you always seem to be unclear on what year it is. <laughs> there was a fine. lot of ch- there was a lot of chatter um, on the Reddit about how uh, you <laughs> referred to uh, your. <laughs> To 2015 top cakes last, last week. Yeah, how, does that? That, how does that even happen? Oh, I'm sorry. It's 2016 now, and I'm still <laughs> ranking 2015 on all my checks. Uh, um, I think this movie came out around the same time that um, uh, like the new Godzilla movies started coming out. Like the Brian Cranston Godzilla. Yeah. Um, but, but it was good. I would, uh, I'd recommend it. It, it, And especially like as somebody that's like, I want to watch a Godzilla movie. I want to get into this. This was like a good, it's like kind of a reboot, uh, of Godzilla. Uh, but it's got some, it's got some weird stuff in it. Like Godzilla keeps like mutating and like evolving and it's very disturbing, very Lovecraftian even might I venture to say. My favorite thing in the world. But this Godzilla looked gross. Really gross. Tom, we're reading mm-hmm. the book The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of chatter. A lot of people sounding off in the comments. Love it, no, Tom. I no, love it. 
No mention of uh, the 90s Godzilla with Matthew Broderick in this book yet. Not yet, but that came out in 99. And, uh, you know, a killer soundtrack. You had A320 by the Foo Fighters. <sighs> yeah. You had, um, what was that the, song the called? The Godzilla version of uh, Green Day's... Um... Brain Stew? Was that the yeah, one? Yeah, I think it was the Brain Stew. But then it would go, Dennett. Dennett. <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It's got Tim, that uh, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, uh, yeah. um, Led Zeppelin cashmere song. Uh-huh. Come with me. Yeah. I want to fight you, I'll kick and bite you, is, one, is, is, is a lyric from that masterpiece. Yeah. And it's like, Jimmy well, Page sound, performed it with P. Like Diddy. You, sounds like you don't fight very fair. I don't want to fight with a guy who's going to kick and bite. I mean, kicking, I think, in fights is pretty fair, um, depending yeah, on the, the ground rules. The con- biting. Yeah. No, no. Biting is never acceptable. Hey, hey Puff Daddy, biting is a step too far. Um, Cut it out. What else was on the Godzilla 1999 soundtrack? 99 or 2000? Uh, I think it was 99, because I, I do remember seeing it. Uh, like being living upstairs at, home at the the it. movie theater. Upstairs, what? It what was mean, a, upstairs. Uh, it was in the in the movie theater in town. You know the big theater oh, that you had yeah, to go yeah, upstairs. Yeah, upstairs. Uh, I don't know. I think I saw it in Farmingdale because they had. Um, I I got like a a movie frame with my ticket that Ooh. I was very excited about. Um, no mention of that, Tom. I. Did in this book ninety eight ninety eight was when that movie came out. Okay, I think the um the index is screwy. Oh, is it? Because I I was thinking I was thinking about the things. Look, as I'm reading this book, I'm mm-hmm. thinking like this is not the nostalgia piece that uh, that I think I was expecting. You yeah. know, you put you put this um this uh phone. With yeah, the, the, the like, clear phone that you can see the colorful circuit boards and stuff, yeah. mm. you're like, oh, this it's is like gonna a be big, it. a big '90s aesthetic thing. Was like, let's make this electronic in clear plastic, and like kind of gussy up the the internals, make them cool colors. Yeah, so. I feel like I was like, oh, this is going to be like from the from the author of Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. This is going to mm-hmm. be like a pop culture extravaganza. It's going to be a nostalgia piece, you know, mm-hmm. um, targeted directly to me. And I'm feeling like it's not that at all. It's just like because you're not Gen X, Tim. It's targeted squarely at Gen X. So I started. I was like, oh, there's an index. Let me see if they are. Um, like if he mentions the like the signposts from my 90s experience pop culture wise right Mm. and so it's like number one it's the simpsons and number two it's oj simpson which is weird Mm. um but the simpsons and i don't remember it apparently it's somewhere in the like he mentioned them in passing i don't know the the simpsons uh tv show yeah but Mm -hmm. then it says okay the simpsons oh it's mentioned on pages 75 to 76 you go to those pages, there's no mention of The Simpsons on those pages. <laughs> well, it sounds like somebody didn't update the index before they went to press with this. Yeah. 
So anyway, um, Tim, how are you feeling having, about this book having, in general? You're having real bad luck with buying uh, printed books lately <laughs> that have like printing errors. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is, I think this is probably, um, I don't think the, the page numbers in this printing of the book which is measurably different than any of the others that were printed at the same time. But uh, yeah, that that um, George Saunders book I bought had the pages <laughs> all out of order. Yeah. I didn't even know that could happen in the 21st century, but here we are. I just saw like a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a New York Times thing about like how books are printed. And it was yeah, neat. Well, it was like, you know, an inside look at like how book printing presses work. Yeah, I saw that on a fucking episode of Mr. Rogers stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I thought it was interesting just because I so think when this, I was four years old. <laughs> This was, I think, like an upstate printing press. Um, and like at no point during this whole thing did they mention like, of course, this is only how a tiny fraction of books are printed nowadays. Right. They're mostly printed in China. And because uh, you, you saw that thing where like a, a ship sunk or whatever and like a, a, a couple of people's. Down. A couple, I don't know if a ship sunk or just like a, a cargo uh, what do you call those? Cargo bays? Car- uh, shipping container. like or, or just a shipping container fell overboard. But there were, uh, it was full of books. And like the, I think it was like two authors in particular. It was like, we're going to have to push their book releases back six months. All their books oh, fell wow. in the ocean. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> These fish are reading for free. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or anybody that can get to the middle of the Pacific Ocean and find uh, a shipping container full of books. Uh, how am I feeling about this book so far? Um, I think similar to you, where I kind of feel like he... Excuse me, I'm burping like a goddamn maniac. Chuck and Losterman, the burping. And the burping. I feel like Chuck Closerman kind of... It feels to me like he... He anticipated what people like you would assume this book would be and was like, I'm going to so I'm going to swerve right and uh, make parts of this book kind of like not impenetrable, but just so like, I don't know, getting into like nuances and and flowery speech and stuff. Where I mean, it's just that's like, kind of like a, a hallmark of. Yeah, I mean, that's you know. kind of his thing. But there but there are some parts of this book where I'm reading through it. and It's like, I don't understand what his point is here. Oh, yeah. And, that's also and, a hallmark. Of <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't I don't think. I I don't know why he's trying to make this point. Yeah, and, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so often my response, if he was like, if I if he was reading this book to me, like when he would pause, I would go like, okay, <laughs> and like, <laughs> and often those noted, parts, often those parts come like right after a, a, a like a very interesting thing. So actually, when um uh. In in chapter four, it's called The Edge is Viewed from the Middle. Um, mm-hmm. This one is kind of about the music industry in the 90s, yeah. right? Is that how you would sum it up? I would say uh, it's about um, mainstream versus um, underground culture yeah. and how the two of the interplay between the two, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, well, we'll get into what the beginning of the chapter is about. But towards the end of the chapter, he's talking about Alanis Morissette a lot. Um, and uh, he talks about, uh, you know, he's talking about um, uh, you ought to know. And he says, you know, and everybody knows, uh, you know, the that song is about like a bad breakup and like a fuck you to an ex. And of course, everybody wanted to know who that was. And and the the line here is when a gossipy consensus about the man's identity was finally reached. The answer, Dave Coulier, an edgeless comedian from the family sitcom Full House, was unexpected and deflating. It was not the answer people wanted, though there was probably no answer that would suffice. Were you fucking crazy? That was the that was the <laughs> most bonkers thing I've ever fucking was, heard when he That was went, the craziest answer. That it, it was the best possible answer. It's like, oh, out of left field and like it lines up. Oh yeah, he's Canadian. I, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, oh my God, this all makes sense. Yeah, they were they were both on Canadian TV. Yeah, they would have crossed paths. You know, they talk about it like uh he he presents this like it's um uh oh, what's his name the the guy who was uh dating or married to uh Carmen Electra Dave and he was Dave in Navarro Dave Navarro like yeah. a Dave Navarro where it's like oh yeah a guy you know he was with everybody okay yeah it's like no Dave Coulier oh that is not who I expected this like especially like when that that was Alana Alanis Morissette's first single and that. I feel like because of the time they like, I just remember her like having really long hair, like head banging in that video, like hair covering her face. Like they were leaning into the grunge tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the song is like a little bit grunge. Um, you know, it, it was certainly like an alt rock song. It's totally alt rock. It was totally 120 minutes is what I'm exactly into. So, so the idea that who she's talking about is is fucking uh, a guy, the guy from Full House that had a, a woodchuck puppet. Yeah, <laughs> it was you like no, that's who she's talking about going down on in a theater. Oh shit, in a theater of all places. <laughs> yeah, um, you know everybody thinks like Chuck Lushman even says like. Um, Oh, and that line means she performed oral sex in a movie theater. I always assumed it was a movie theater too, but all she says is theater. That could have been uh, it could have been Swan Lake for all we know. Yeah, Lay Miz on Broadway. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the idea that that was a deflating answer. You know what the thing is, Tom? Insane. The the explanation there is the ten year gap between. Us, Us and Chuck Lusterman, yeah. because like Full House meant nothing to him. Full House was yeah. not on his radar. Full House is the same way that we think of like a Disney Channel um, show, like Even Stevens. If it was like, right. oh, this pop song like, was oh, written I, about I the guy from Even that, Stevens. That, uh, yeah, uh, Shia LaBeouf was on that show, but I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, and it's not me being a snob. It's just it was after my time. Yeah, it, it never came actually, across my radar. Sounding off in the comments, William mm-hmm. said uh, that he's around Closerman's age, so reading the book, he kept wondering how someone around ten years younger would see it. Old enough to know the references, but young enough so that they weren't the same cultural touchstones. And, like, that's exactly what this is. Like, we all know 
the things that were that that he talked about but like yeah chuck Loserman is aware of full house but like we have internalized it, it full house we've yeah. seen we've seen every episode of full house or like many episodes of full house right. so it's like ah hey it's it's uncle joey that's fucking crazy and <laughs> yeah. he's just like i, I would, think that I would guy was not on a consider bad myself show. I would not consider myself like a full house fan, but I could tell you all the characters names and all the actors names because it's like it was what was on when we were kids. So whether you liked it or not, you consumed it, basically. And even if you pretended not to like it, but secretly you were like, this is a comforting show and uh, it's nice. Right. Yeah, and I feel like where it was in the lineup, it was like in between two shows I like. So it was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is okay. Like, uh, you know, uh, I'm into this. It, yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly right. That it, it wasn't necessarily funny to me as a kid, but it was like, this is nice. This is yeah. comforting. Everybody on this is nice to each other for the most part. That's, you know, fine. First concert I ever went to was the Beach Boys in Chicago, but um, it was after I had seen that, uh, like the first or second season episode of Full House. So I was still very young. Uh, oh, where, where, where the Beach Uncle Boys Jesse came and then, played? well, the Beach Boys like came to their house because they won mm-hmm. a contest, and then like the they Beach all Boys went, won the contest. That what no, are the odds? Well, I mean, to go to the Full House house, I mean, <laughs> they um, got to be on an episode of Full House. <laughs> And then Mike everybody had entered them into a contest. Everybody in the full house got to perform on stage with the Beach Boys at a big concert that night. Mm, yeah. Um, and then when I was very excited, I was a big Beach Boys fan when I was a kid. And so I got to go to that concert. I think I was like six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. And I was so disappointed because I, I just assumed, yeah, I assumed that the full house crew would be there. And yeah. I remember being like, you know, in a in a sullen mood on the way home, and my dad asking me like, "Hey, you didn't think that all the people from Full House would be there, did you?" And I was like, "No, of course not. Why would I think that?" But in my head, I was like, tears "Stupid, Tim. Stupid. Why would you ever think that? Of course, they're not going to go on tour with them. You set they yourself just up the for con- a disappointment. <laughs> they they have to film the rest of the season. <sighs> anyway." Uh, but in the beginning Dave of this chapter, ladies and gentlemen, man, we are we would be we're never going to get invited into a legitimate book club. But we just focus on three words of one sentence of a chapter <laughs> that is tangential to any any point that's being tried that he's trying to make in the book. Well, I was going to forty five minutes. I was going to bring up that uh, the beginning of the chapter he's talking about uh, two live crew a lot. Mm hmm. Uh, because that was like kind of the the album that set off the you know uh, like uh, the parental warning label, and it, this was before that, so it was like that wasn't even an option because that became an option later. And at this time, it was like a oh, this record's pornographic. Yeah, it needs it's to literally, be pulled off the shelves. Like, you can't sell this lest you go to jail. Yeah. Um, which is um, bonkers. Imagine, like, that, like, again, this is a little bit before my time and what I'm aware, what I was aware of at, at that point yeah. in my life. Yeah, I, like, I, I remember years later, seeing uh, a parody album called uh, Two Live Jews as Kosher as They Want to Be. 
hmm. in in the record store and like being like what is this and then like finding out later like oh that's like a a joke on <laughs> on uh two live two uh two live crew not two live yeah. two um um but that it's it's really bonkers to think about like uh how as nasty as they want to be yeah how uh significant that was like imagine somebody in a record store in florida was arrested for selling an album mm-hmm. um in 2022 with twitter and everything like we would be like that's it that's the end of america like the- yeah it would be like well i guess the gestapo's uh yeah. finally coming into fruition I mean, I would passionately argue with my uncle at, uh, at Thanksgiving dinner with tears in my eyes about, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, like... I, I have that in my note. A shop owner in Fort Lauderdale was arrested uh, because he sold it to an undercover cop two days yeah. after it had been ruled as, I don't, like, obscene. I don't, sell, I don't sell anything to undercover cops, legal or illegal. Like, Well, that's why everybody I deal with, Tim, I ask, if are you a cop? And then I remind them that they have to tell me if they are. Yeah. And then you break out your pocket constitution. <laughs> um, well, and they also talk about how, like, uh, later in the 90s on NYPD Blue, I and here I thought they were going to start talking about Dennis Franz's butt. But they talk about how, or, or Klosterman talks about how a character refers to another character as a pissy little bitch. And that, <laughs> yeah. that was like, oh my God, like it set the world on fire. I and thought he was like going to talk about the famous butt, the butt scene around the world. Yeah. And I thought there was like a uh, a, a, a fuck somewhere in NYPD Blue. I think there and, was a shit years later. Okay. But yeah, I mean, pissy little bitch. It's like they they say that on on My Little Pony nowadays. I think, Tom, that's nothing. I'm on page seventy six because I'm. It's the the page before the chapter we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the page where the index said The Simpsons was mentioned. <laughs> um, and and it it does mention The Simpsons. I was wrong. <laughs> And then I also looked up the Foo Fighters, and it said the same pages. And I was like, "Well, no." And it says, um, "It says Foo Tim, Fighters is right there." We know there. you were going to look all these things up. Here it is. This is the only mention of the Foo Fighters and the Simpsons in this book about the '90s. The two things mm-hmm. that were most important to me in the '90s. <laughs> uh, he was talking about the movie Falling Down. Starring oh Michael yeah, Douglas. yeah, I remember that. Uh, contemporary yeah, these critics. These are parts we read already. Yeah, contemporary critics tend to be appalled by the film's themes and won't even engage with the premise, often unaware of the unusual scope of influence. It inspired a song by Iron Maiden, a video by Foo Fighters, and a character in The Simpsons. That's all the that's all you're gonna mention, <laughs> The Simpsons, in a book about the yeah. goddamn nineties. Well, and also like he doesn't talk and I feel like this is one of the big differences between like I of most Gen X and then like late Gen X, early millennials like us. Um, there's like no talk about video games in this yet. 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe there will be some. But I feel like people who are his age, like 10 years older, it's like, yeah, video games, like when video games had a resurgence in like the late 80s, early 90s, it's like they were already in college and kind of like on to other shit. So it's like they may have bought a Super Nintendo and played Mario Kart or whatever, but, you know, they, they were busy doing other things by then. Whereas, again, we were at that age um, when Nintendo hit the scene uh, where it was just like right, uh, just square in our wheelhouse. Yeah. And I pre- I I wouldn't be surprised if if he didn't work in some sort of video game aspect. Like I appreciate what he's trying to do, and not mm-hmm. just do like a like. Especially because to... like Mortal Kombat became like a yeah. big thing. Like he's you like know, making he's he's making arguments and trying to incorporate those those touchstones in like unusual or interesting ways and contrast things. So like, mm-hmm. you know, it might be like. Mortal Kombat contrasted with like, um, I don't know, David Lynch's The Straight Story, <laughs> and like yeah. it was like, oh, th- that was Lynch uh, at his most subversive because he was telling a story that didn't have a psychologically yeah. horrible aspect to it, and Mortal Unlike Kombat Mortal could only Kombat. yeah, but like, what was really more like at the end of the day, if you were looking back the real transgressive thing was the straight story and like, and it's like, wow, counterintuitive (laughs) uh, thinking there, buddy. Um, but who knows? We might get to that. All of this to say is, um, you wrote a chapter essentially about Tarantino and Mm -hmm. Oliver Stone as well. Um, well, then the next chapter, the the movie was about a movie. Yeah, I mean, did you want to talk more about the uh, list no, there I, I versus gonna... uh, Alanis Morissette? Oh I mean, yeah, because that's it was another a pretty weird simple, thing. I thought it was a pretty simple thing, like being like, um, in the nineties, mm-hmm. whatever the most extreme thing you did was the thing that defined you. Like Roseanne, yeah. she was a foul mouth comic, so like nobody wanted to right. hear anything except for something foul mouth from her, and she was reduced. And I guess I take the point that like that primarily happened to women, mm-hmm. um, but also yeah, like, like when when Liz Fair tried to go like more mainstream. Yeah, like first they like were like, oh, she's so explicit in her lyrics. And then like she went yeah. more mainstream and they were like, oh, too afraid to be explicit in your <laughs> lyrics. <huh?"> right. <laughs> well, and her lyrics were not very explicit compared to male singers at all. Right. Liz Fair came out with a biography somewhat recently. I, I would be curious to read that. She's somebody that I don't know that much about, but like I've always liked and I've always liked her music. Yeah, I've never actually heard Exile in Guyville. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've never like sat and listened to it back to back. I think also she gets a lot of unfair shit for um, uh, going mainstream when that song uh, Why Can't I Breathe is a banger. That's a good song. I don't even know it. Why can I breathe whenever I think about you? You'd know it. 
There's no way it could I mean, possibly beat your rendition of it, though. It's 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 definitely a pop song. It's not like an alt but, rock song, but it's but it's very good, and it does it has the the f word in it. So hey, well, well, hey, no complaints over here. You're gonna say yeah. the f word. I'm in. Yeah. Uh, but chapter five, the movie was about a movie. This is about like the the rise of the independent filmmaker in the 90s. You know what? It was kind of interesting how mm-hmm. he kind of traced um, the VCR to be like, like it yeah. is interesting to hear about. And he talks about this more in the next chapter about like we're in that weird zone where mm-hmm. we're um, between um, like people like people whose lives were radically changed by the internet mm-hmm. and people who like didn't ever need to worry about the internet. Like, yeah. D- um, digital natives are the people that are a little yeah. younger than us. And then, yeah, I don't know. Luddites are the people older where we were, but, we were at the right age of like when this change happened, I was like, Oh, cool. <laughs> and we just adapted to it. Yeah. But like, similarly, we're the age that he's talking about with the video stores where like, mm-hmm. Video stores always existed during our lifetime. Yeah. And like before VHS was affordable and video stores were there, like you just didn't see movie. Like a movie came out. Yeah. And then unless it was re-released into theaters, you just never saw that movie again. And yeah. like it was very or interesting it, to be like randomly was shown on TV at some later point. Yeah. But like it was like a weird thing to think about that like filmmakers that came before like these 90s guys like Tarantino that like mm. just like watched every movie like yeah had to go hunt down these movies to see like um, yeah like that very... history just like wasn't as accessible um yeah like yeah. you know people like uh like a Spielberg or a George Lucas that were like very or Scorsese that were like successful and rich they might have like a private 16 or 35 millimeter collection. But yeah, otherwise it was like, nah, it doesn't matter what amount of money you have. These aren't (laughs) sold to the public. There's not a way to buy it. That's just, that's just wild to me. And the way that that kind of informed how movies were made, like now they're like, you're using the language of movies rather than like the language of real life. Um, which is, uh, yeah, and people oh. like uh, like a uh, Tarantino and uh, Kevin Smith. I would throw like a Robert Rodriguez in there, where it's like, no, these were just people that were, you know, obsessed with watching movies, and basically, you know, the same way some people, you know, not some people. I would say a lot of people like. You know, most people that write books, most authors read a lot of books and then that's what (laughs) makes them want to write a book themselves. Right. Uh, And that hadn't really happened before with with movies because there wasn't a way to really, you you know, and as somebody like a Scorsese probably has a ton of stories about like I would go to the movie theater down the block. It costs a nickel and I would just sit there all day. But um, but yeah, it wasn't until the '90s really that uh, that movies were just so accessible. Yeah, I did forget 
Mm-hmm. Um, but do vaguely remember that uh, McDonald's sold Dances with Wolves on VHS Tim for seven ninety nine. Literally, the only the only <laughs> highlight I have for this for this whole chapter, which I'm trying, I was trying to think like. Did I just not find anything else about this chapter interesting? I think it wasn't that. I think it was more just that, like a lot of this chapter, there there wasn't things he was pointing to. He was yeah. he was just kind of saying, "Look, here's here's what I think based on the timeline, and it makes a lot of sense." Of like, here's when cinema changed. The '80s cinema, like, is what do you think about that? He said like '80s cinema wasn't really interesting. I think eighties was when the blockbuster kind of started after Jaws. Right. Which was the seventies, but I take your point. Like that like that's they what took I mean. the template. It was the yeah, 70s yeah, exactly. And it was like, okay, let's make Back to the Future. Let's Yeah, you know, I don't think he was saying it wasn't like interesting. Yeah. I think he was just like it wasn't as informed. It wasn't like like Tarantino there wasn't a is, huge difference between. Yeah, it was like, like people Tar- people were seeing what worked in the seventies and made blockbusters, and were like, "Let's do that." Yeah, it's just like um, when he talked about Kevin Smith, like uh, uh, being a terrible visual artist, <laughs> um, but like has a knack for dialogue, or at one point yeah. had a knack for dialogue, or at one point people thought he had a knack for dialogue, and it was like. Yeah. He got that because he wasn't looking at the screen, but was like oh, taking yeah, yeah. in a ton of movies, and it's just like yeah. that. That like that just gives you so much more of a palette to play with when like you have just uh, uh, taken in, experienced, and internalized all this stuff, and you've watched movies a million yeah. times. He talks about like Joe Swanberg. Is that that guy's name? Yeah. When he's yeah. talking about. The Breakfast Club, like before VHS, that would have been the kind of movie that you saw one time and you were like, that was fun. But you like, yeah, you watch it 25 it. times um, and, and you convince yourself yeah. that you're it's important. Right. Like, um, and I think that's in that like warps your brains. And then when you go to make a movie, you've internalized all this weird thing, all this weird stuff. Yeah. And that's what a lot of like nineties filmmakers had, had internalized weird. You know, he talks about Tarantino casting, uh, John Travolta. That's exactly what I was just about to bring up because like, it's funny. It's like, I always like thought of that as like, Oh, that's ironic. Cause that guy was like, like, no, it wasn't an ironic casting of a guy who was like, past his prime it was like mm-hmm. oh no i wanted him to be cool the way that he was in those movies like yeah he's still tarantino like he was cool in what was it red dawn or whatever like i wanted or he's still uh john travolta like i wanted mm-hmm. to be cool the way that he was oh no blowout not red yeah dawn. i was gonna say he wasn't in red dawn <laughs> uh but he's like oh, it's just like uh he was a cool guy and i'm casting him as a cool guy who's a little older right. in this one but like mm. It's not to be a commentary of like, oh, look how I'm yeah, repurposing this, this yeah, washed this up guy and it's meta. Yeah. Or, yeah. Which I think might explain why John Travolta was never in a Tarantino movie again, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. But it was kind of like, oh, now he, oh, but now he thinks he's cool. So he's trying to act cool and it's not, <laughs> it doesn't work anymore. Battlefield Earth is a <laughs> underrated movie. 
But yeah, the fact that uh, that McDonald's was selling Dances with Wolves for seven ninety nine if you bought food, uh, crazy, and that would explain why there was a copy of Dances with Wolves at my house growing up. That, <laughs> that was certainly because I think I mean seven ninety nine. I think that was only like probably a, a, well maybe like double the price of renting it, right? Maybe um, a little bit more back then. Yeah, but it was an Oscar winner. My parents took me to see that movie in the theater, and I was like Were young, you bored. I was like nine. I was so bored. Except there was yeah. one part where a pretty lady like looked like she was gonna take off her shirt, and I just remember being like, "Oh my god!" And like it was like my <laughs> one of my earliest memories of being like a, a little horn dog about something. <laughs> Tim, imagine if this were your Bruce Wayne style origin story where little Tim got a boner in the movie theater and his parents had to take him out through the back alley because he was embarrassed. They They were gunned down and then you you grew up to, to try and avenge them. The two movies that I remember my family going to as a family, my parents, mm-hmm. my brother and me, were... Dances with Wolves and Mel Gibson's uh, The Man Without a Face. <laughs> nice. Two two classics. Uh Tim the the chapter 6, the last chapter we read this week, Control Alt Delete. Control yeah. plus alt plus delete. We're going to skip I that should. uh that like sports chapter where it's just like isn't it weird that bowl games have a weird structure and like oh, the yeah, college was... posts it's like I get it. All right. <laughs> like, I get what, what you're trying to do but about? like All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to read this though. <laughs> yeah, so far all those like in between little digressions aren't very good (laughs) uh but control alt delete here we go now he's talking about the internet this Uh, is one i read this when i was like very much uh half asleep and i was like uh you know what tom's gonna tom's gonna carry this one he's gonna have like a lot of things to say i got a lot of highlighted things here first off i mean i feel like the first like page and a half he like describes the sound of a modem. Enough, yeah. <laughs> there were a few more beeps absorbed into a wall of white noise, and then the white noise abruptly doubled, meaning the receiving modem was now interacting with the calling modem. Although I did like some of this because I was like, oh, that's when it would go like, <laughs> like it would suddenly get way louder. Yeah. So I like some of this where he kind of explained like what kind the different noises that part, meant. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, he's like he trying to make to... it successful. Uh, I mean, suspenseful. And it's just like, no, I know what you're describing. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's fine. Like, do you think, I mean, do you think he wrote this book to like kind of stand the test of time or is this firmly meant just for like Gen X and millennials to read now? I think compared to his other writing, it is mm. a little bit like this in particular, this chapter seems a little bit more like I'm trying to explain this to people that may have no firsthand knowledge. Exactly. Or like mm. at least as as an exercise doing it that mm. way instead of like I'm um, talking to people who know all the references and know all of this stuff already. And this is just my take on it. Yeah. Um. He talks about like the inventing the wheel. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, the... 
<laughs> he and talk, like his yeah. point is that like the invention of the internet is more significant for society than the invention of the wheel. I think it's what he eventually comes kind, around to. Kind of, but also about like people inventing stuff that they don't realize is important or will be right. important, I think. Um, cause he talks a lot about how like the wheel was invented, like after the bronze age or during the bronze age. So he's like, how did people figure out how to like bronze things and make, make bronze, but they couldn't figure out the wheel. Hmm. Uh, but then he, he talks about people like us, Tim, he, he talks about, uh, the the how there were like three groups as far as the internet's concerned the groups that are like too old and it's just like ah eh, i can keep doing what i'm doing with my life and i won't really have to worry about this nowadays they do but like everybody eventually caught up yeah more more, more or less uh the people younger than us who are digital natives and then the the people like us who he describes who were forced to wrestle with an experience that reconstituted reality without changing anything about the physical world yeah and i do i mean it is interesting like it is weird cuz we're old enough to remember what it was like before people had cell phones and how fucking inconvenient it was <laughs> But and don't do you not have a nostalgia for that? Like I, I do, but I, I, I definitely have nostalgia for some of those things. But I can still like distinctly remember enough problems <laughs> that that I I'm fully okay with with uh, with how things are now. Just because like he talks about how it's like if you made plans with somebody. It was like, well, we better both show up. <laughs> and like, if but something like, happens. Is that bad? Is that a bad thing? That like you like you were it's, forced to, to like show yeah. up where you said you would be at the time yeah. you said you would well, be there? Yeah. I mean, it's a double edged sword because you're right. Like it it's good because back then it was harder to like flake on people because it was like. Well, if I just don't show up, this person's probably going to like sit there for a half hour, wonder if I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. Maybe and go like, find a payphone and call my house. And the alternative now is that like, oh, I'll just text them and say that like I'm going to be 30 minutes late. Right. It's just like, that's rude and shitty. Like, why? Like, yeah, but it, why but not have a stuff. construct where like we're, we're like being, I don't know considerate of people in their yeah. time but also like i don't know thinking about thinking about too like back then you know if me and you were adults back then it was like hey let's uh meet up for a drink after work tomorrow and then it's just like well i hope like everything goes normal in that person's day and they show up after work but but you're 100 percent right because you know nine times out of ten people did it. It wasn't yeah. like back then. It was like well a lot of people made plans and other people just didn't show up. <laughs> but him talking about the phone and how like the phone was just such a wacky thing. I I did like oh, the this, landline. Yeah, the landline. I did like some of this stuff because you know it's it's stuff that I'm aware of. Again, I uh, you know we were alive before cell phones were ubiquitous. Um, but just him talking about like how you had, you know, the phone was just 
a, the way he describes it where he's like, the phone was like the washing machine. It was just an appliance. Right. Everybody in your household had the same phone number. Um, the phone was loud and the only way you could get it to stop ringing was answering it. And also, you know, you had you before caller ID, caller ID was a fucking revelation. And right. before that, it was like, well, the phone's ringing. Maybe this is a telemarketer or maybe a relative died or maybe it's that job I've been waiting to hear about or that that girl I've been waiting to hear from. You had no idea until you answered Isn't the phone. Isn't that so you cool? Had it's cool, but also like you know what? I think we're <laughs> we're we're remaking our lives to be so informed about everything and so mm. um so protected from any, everything and to be mm-hmm. so convenient that like yeah. it's making oh, thing, yeah. it's making things dull and unhappy. Like people are, you know, we have all this stuff. Things are more convenient than it's ever been. And people are way less happier than they've ever been. Um, I mean, that's true. If you could, if you could go back to the '90s and like explain how, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Grubhub or like Uber Eats or DoorDash work, uh, people would be blown away. That's like, wait, you just you just press buttons on a screen and somebody just shows up and brings it to you. I mean, they yeah. had delivery. They had pizza delivery and Chinese yeah. delivery and stuff. But I just feel like uh, we're making things too convenient. We're making things like I don't know. We're taking all of the like we're managing our lives. We're micromanaging our lives so much. Yeah, um, to the point the where like of- people just don't have to face any kind, like face anything that. Uh, is difficult yeah and it's i don't know there's something cool about like the phone ringing and you don't know who it is and like it might be a good thing it might be a bad thing it might be a neutral thing and like hey hey, guess what that's fucking life it might be a party line might be a party line and then you're connected to singles in your area (laughs) yeah um I thought it was interesting. He talks about um, uh, modern people worry about cell phone addiction, despite the fact that landlines exercise much more control over the owner. If you needed to take an important call, you just had to sit in the living room and wait for it. I mean, that is a very inconvenient. Like, I remember being a teenager and like waiting on calls and it was just like well you're just gonna have to fucking i mean at least we had families so it was like all right if i'm out you know playing with with one friend and another friend calls when i come back home to check in my mom's gonna say like oh so-and-so called and it's gonna be like oh let's call him and oh you're around okay let's let's hang let's hang out but i'm just thinking about like People like me and you after college, if we were like, you know, roommates, like I'm fascinated by what it was like to be like 20 in the 90s. Watch an episode of Friends, like when, uh, you know, Joey's agent called about an audition and Chandler took the message and didn't write it down in the right place. That's what it was. It's exactly what you're describing. Yeah. And and that's uh, I don't know. That would cause that would cause me a lot of anxiety, and because it's twenty twenty two, I want to avoid any kind of negative no, feelings. No, <laughs> I think I think uh, 
everything is giving you anxiety. Because, um, you know, if you were expecting an important call, you sat in the living room and waited for it, mm-hmm. and you fucking relaxed, and you read a book. <laughs> you didn't, like, <laughs> uh, you didn't open up your phone and... uh look at a, a stream of shit that was yeah. of, of like the horrors of the world that are meant to upset you you would just be like hey guess what like we're never bored all the time we're never bored anymore mm, but like yeah. we're actually bored all the time because like the things we do are just <laughs> yeah, so meaningless thresholds like come up yeah, yeah. so like and i don't know is, you, you had a you had a phone call you needed you popped a couple of lewds and you just yeah. waited for it to put on a, 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 I don't know, an episode of MASH. What if yeah, people watch Pac-Man? He says here, you had, to tr- you had to trust people and they had to trust you. If you made plans over the phone and left the house, those plans could not be changed. Everyone had to be where they said they'd be and everyone had to arrive when they said they'd arrive. I do think, What's you know, wrong with that? <laughs> have, no, you ever, I, have you ever made plans where you're like, well, thank God everybody doesn't have to arrive when they said they'd be here? No, like- you're going. You're all meeting at a restaurant, and they won't see you until everybody's there. And then, yeah. like, oh, thank God, this person is fucking twenty minutes late. <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree with that. Uh, but I I I think it is interesting the idea of trust that there was yeah. kind of more trust between people back right. then. Is that um, a bad thing? Tom, I'm, no, I'm a, I, don't think I think we should a... smash these phones. Tom, imagine there was no internet and we weren't doing mm. this. We'd be like, oh, I've been thinking, I should have just become like a math teacher. <laughs> Tim, you're not good at math. I, don't think I could be teach a very... seventh graders math, Tom. I don't think you'd be a very te- patient teacher. I they don't think give you, like... you the textbook and it has all the answers in it. You'd be happy dealing with the 13-year-old. Well, so maybe you... Uh, really identify with the the end of this chapter where you're talking about uh, Ted Kaczynski, the <laughs> yeah. Unabomber, and and how I never really thought about that. That like Ted Kaczynski's whole thing was like pre-internet, and that <laughs> yeah. basically he was like not even talking about the internet, but wound up like very accurately predicting how the internet would fuck fuck up society and individual people. Yeah. He was, he was, I mean, there's some stuff in there that is despicable. Um, <laughs> Including sending bombs to people he like, didn't even know. If you're going to send bombs, at least send them to like people you know. Yeah, people that have personally wronged you. Yeah, he was just like, ah, this person's working on technology I don't like. I'm going to send a bomb to their house. I mean, uh, yeah. there's some <laughs> stuff where, I don't know, there's some... <laughs> <laughs> bombs that I wouldn't mind going off and yeah but he was like going after I mean I, I didn't realize too the reason why he was the Unabomber was UN was university and A was airline <laughs> Yeah, it's that's like, like who he was targeting yeah we're, we're against air travel okay I mean yeah. I'm against air travel for other reasons but I still do it well that's just because you're afraid Ooh, I'm a coward yeah, you're you're always anytime I've been on a plane with you, Tim, you're always nudging me and and screaming about some gremlin on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> it's there, I swear. <laughs> um I do think it's interesting though that he talks about um how uh uh like people talk about the internet, you know, I mean we're doing it right now, talking about the internet as like, ah, this was a mistake, it was a bad thing. 
But it's like, that's really only the case of like the last 15 years of the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, he talks about like Facebook, uh, 2004 was when it started. And then like Twitter after that and Instagram was until like 2010. So it's like, yeah, all these things that we point to now as like, you know, a scourge on society. It's like, you know, that wasn't what, I mean, the nineties internet was Tom, awesome. I loved pets.com and GeoCities. <laughs> I mean, all those things were stupid and like, you know, made the wrong bets on stuff. But like, I don't know when I was a teenager going online was so exciting. It was so fun. Cause it was, cause I don't know. You were logging on and then logging off. You weren't on it all the time. So you would only like go on if you were specifically looking for something or if you had time to kill, which I think is different than nowadays where we all go online if it's like we have a second of like being alone with our own thoughts. Exactly. And that's what I was talking about, sitting in the living room waiting for a call. Because back then, so actually I was listening to uh, a podcast this week, uh, 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 John Gruber's podcast, The Talk Show. Hans Gruber. They were talking a little bit about like the 90s internet and they were talking about uh, this uh, Pam and Tommy show on Hulu. Mm -hmm. And they were saying like the one thing that show got 100% right is how slow the internet was in the 90s. Um, And just how like you would click on a link and it was just like, well, now I have to wait. I just have to wait for this to load up, even though it's only text and maybe like a handful of pictures. Like I have to be deliberate with what I'm clicking on and then sit and wait and see if it was worth that wait. So it wasn't something, it wasn't as instantaneous as it is now where nowadays it's like, well, I'm bored for a second. If I tap Instagram on my phone, it launches within half a second. Yeah. And then is showing me literally an endless stream of things. I never have to wait. Nothing ever loads. Everything's just there. Uh Klosterman uh is speaking my language kind of along those lines about music. How mm-hmm. like in the day there were oh, yeah, it was a limited resource. Napster. Yeah, okay. but it was a limited resource, right? Like you went into a record store with mm-hmm. a certain amount of money that you were gonna spend there. Mm-hmm. And you had to choose and you had to curate and you had to like, and we talk about this all the time. Like I yeah. haven't like really fallen in love with a new album mm-hmm. in over a decade. Cause I haven't like spent just money on it. To whatever singles big on TikTok that week. Exactly. Whatever dances or the, or catching yeah. the teen's and eyes TikTok or whatever. TikTok songs are only two and a half minutes long. Cause that's like what the algorithm likes. But like, like, and, and he, there was some like anti-capitalist guy that he quotes in there being like, yeah, the music industry was bad in the 90s, but like mm-hmm. it's worse now because at least the industry insulated the artists from a lot of the bullshit yeah. that they didn't have to like they could actually be artists and and not like figure out how to like fight they, for their lives. They, in this yeah, new- they didn't have to like write songs to fit something right. like TikTok. And like, oh, I mean, I'm sure you've read and seen things about how like how TikToks affected music where it's like, all right, the song has to start with the chorus now has to like start with the hook right away. And then it goes into a verse and then 
But that first verse has to be short because we have to get back to the chorus yeah. again. And then also like something that like I thought would be great in the night. Like, hey, imagine having instant access to every to pornography to every yeah. song that's ever been recorded that I would care about. <laughs> uh, um, and like, like, no, that that sucks because like then there's no curation involved and you're not like mm. paying attention and like I don't know you don't. Uh, it becomes a commodity and it, it's it's yeah and then you you don't own it you know it's not something yeah. you can listen to forever you have to uh which like you know wouldn't be a big problem but i i you're like me where it's like i'm always like switching music services based on like trying different things or like somebody's like hey we'll give you four months for free um, yeah. So it's like I don't really have a music collection anywhere mm-hmm. like I used to even like even, you know, in the iTunes days, which like he's shitting on Napster, which which I think is like because he was older than us. Whereas like for us, Nap- I mean, for me, at least I remember like Napster in college. The thing that was amazing about it was like, oh, I can get B sides that aren't available. Right. Except in imports. I can get live versions of stuff. But, like, isn't it so much... Remember hunting for the imports at the record yeah. store? And, like, I remember there was one um, one copy of the, I think, My Hero single that had the Everlong oh, video it, on it. Yeah, it um, was like a... Yeah, it was like a... It was like an EP. It was like a seven-song EP. Yeah, and it was and an I import. I think it was Japanese, maybe? Yeah, and like there, we were both hunting for it. It's mm-hmm. Foo Fighters uh, rarity, and like I don't know, that was more fun than actually listening to the songs on that. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I mean, the actual B sides were B sides for a reason. Mm-hmm. I like appreciated the hunt and like the <laughs> yeah. all the stuff around it, and like I don't know, nobody sits down and just like listens to an album. <laughs> these days i mean i've been been telling you uh uh off mic uh the new spoon album i've like uh lucifer on the sofa i've been like listening to as an album lately Mm -hmm. it's great like for no other reason than i just haven't like listened to an album front to back i mean now i'm at the point where it's like i'm skipping a couple of songs that just aren't you know that i don't love but songs are you skipping on there I'm not going to bring it up and tell you what songs I'm skipping, but I, mean, but I don't always skip them. It's just sometimes I skip them. But, uh, um, yeah, but here's the problem with mm-hmm. this though. You're gonna, you like, you gave that a chance because mm. spoons track record and you're like, yes. okay, I'll give this. A, and like, you probably listen Words, to it. Like, you, I know this is going to be good. Is getting yeah. good reviews. They're they're not doing something crazy different. Yeah, and how are you gonna like like how many new artists have you done? Oh that, like, yeah, given a new album from an artist that you've never listened to before, as yeah. much of a chance and as, and tried to experience it as much of. Uh, yeah, this I probably is, haven't done that in twenty years. Yeah, this has nothing to do with the book we're reading, I guess. <laughs> but Chuck Klosterman would be interested to hear this conversation. Maybe, um, probably not. Um, yeah. So, how do you feel about this book so far? Um, we're, we're halfway through it now. Yeah, I, I mean, I like it. I think. Uh, I, I think told it's a you, very like, I've good... been coming 
less and less um like entranced by by Chuck Closerman. I think like mm-hmm. I think everybody has a shelf life and I think his writing was vibrant um mm-hmm. and uh was of its time yeah. and was exciting for its time and then I you know you start to see the seams and you start mm-hmm. to see somebody's old tricks as, yeah. as they do it and it's just like yeah and when you disagree with somebody because you can see where they're um, where they have blinders on and you're just right. like, oh, somebody brought up like um, in the comments on um, sounding off in the comments, Tom, <laughs> was uh, uh, Joshua, who was just like that Tupac chapter was something else. Huh? I think the worst <laughs> part of Closerman's writing is that he often feels like he needs to cover every single part of a story. Um, it works better when he handpicks the topics and is clearly knowledgeable. The Tupac section was definitely something he could have just let go. Yeah. And like, that's that's like classic Closterman, I think, where he's just like, I'm going to mention this and I'm waiting into something I don't know about, but I'm pretty smart, so I'll just feel my way through it. <laughs> right. So I'll kind of just say like, look, a lot of people will say this is important, yeah. but let me tell you why it was kind yeah. of important, but not not as important as I think it should be. And let's not be introspective at all and uh, look at the thousands of hours that we've recorded of audio, which (laughs) takes exactly that (laughs) that stance. Hey, do as I do, not it. No, do as I say, not as I do. White guy thing. Yeah, we like to just put our thoughts out there as as the gospel. Um, No, I mean, I think this book is a lot. I would not be nearly as into reading this book if if we weren't talking about it every week. It's a very good conversation starter, I think. Uh, Very good, like book club book. I think if you're, you know, if if you're of the age where uh, where this stuff's uh, at all interesting, because if you approach it as like. I'm not trying to learn about any of this stuff. I know about most of this stuff. I want to hear this person's opinion and some of them I'm going to mm-hmm. agree with some of them I'm going to disagree with. Uh, then, then it's a fun read. Yeah. Hey, what is everybody thinking about it? Um, sound off in the comments. Hey, um, do you think we should just like, uh, unplug the internet and like, uh, <laughs> chop it up with an ax? Uh, sound off in the comments. Uh, Who do you think know. Tim would send bombs to? I'm not going to send bombs to you anybody. You alluded to the that it might not be the worst <laughs> idea in the world. <laughs> That's not true. You're taking my my comments out of oh, context. Oh, you wouldn't even send a bomb to Hitler? Wow. He's dead already, Tim, Tom. If you had the option to send a bomb to Hitler, you would say, no thanks. Wow. All right. Well, I guess we all know where he stands. Thank you for being a patron. We we love you all very much. Um, sound off in the comments. Uh, Tom, next week, oh, we're halfway through it? This isn't mm-hmm. the thrilling conclusion. Um, yeah. No, we're just going to keep at it. The we're going to keep chipping away. part three. Oh, actually, um, Tom, we mentioned mm-hmm. Reality Bites. Yeah. Um, and uh, William mentioned that he saw he's seen reality bites but prefers singles as a good representative movie of the early 90s mm-hmm. and then uh old chucky uh cited singles um yeah i i didn't see that we yeah. gotta go through i'm going through i'm gonna go through and watch all the movies and listen to all the albums he, he <laughs> cites here well i'm curious about 
singles might be a better representation, but like, I don't know if I want a good representation. I want like what everybody thought at the time was going to be. I mean, singles was, was a big movie at the time, right? It had a, had Pearl Jam as the band Citizen Dick. Wow. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Huh. I think. I don't know. I've never seen the movie. <laughs> um, uh, all right, Tom, we said right, we were well, going to keep this off one the short. Comment. Should, we, should yeah. we read singles or watch singles or reality bites when, when all's said and done? Maybe one's like more more readily accessible on streaming, and that's what we'll do. But Yeah. All right. Hey. All right. Let's, let's, Tom, we, we, were, we were trying to bring this one in under an hour. We failed. Couldn't it's do midnight. It, it is. The Witching Hour. See you next week.